thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on CageSidePress.com. I'm Daniel Gubby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. The UFC has begun our long descend into darkness. That's right, we have no UFC events until January 15th. But that doesn't mean we don't have plenty of stuff for you guys, including interviews with a couple of those fighters fighting on the 15th. So for today's episode, I'm going to be kicking it off talking to Brandon Raw Dog Royval as he gets ready for his fight with Rogerio Bontarine. And a little bit later in the show, I'll be talking to Ramiz Rahimai as he gets ready for an exciting fight with Court McGee. In addition to that, me and Shockwave Dave will be joining you for the combat countdown of our end-of-the-year awards. That's right, we're going to give you our favorite knockouts, submissions, fights, as well as male and female fighters of the year. But before we get to any of that great content for you guys, I do need to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Better Than Vegas. Better Than Vegas is the home for the avid sports bettors, providing insights, analysis, and free betting picks. It's like the YouTube for sports betting. You can head on over to betterman.vegas where you can browse, search, and follow handicappers and sports personalities as they give you their thoughts on upcoming sports contests in every sport imaginable. In fact, if you head on over there, you can check out mine and Shockwave Dave's bonus MMA picks each and every event, but you can only find those on the Top Turtle MMA page at betterman.vegas. Better Than Vegas brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready, the fighters are ready, listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. All right, joining me today is Brandon Royval, who fights Rogerio Bontarine at UFC Vegas 46. That fight is on January 15th. So, Brandon, before we get started talking about your fight and the excitement that leads up to that, I, I do want to ask you about a recent event. We saw Kaikara France go and knock out Cody Garbrandt in your division, Cody Garbrandt's debut in your division recently, and immediately demanded a title shot. What are your thoughts on Kaikara France asking for a title shot and having fought both him in the title? How would you see him doing in that fight? Um, I don't know. I think Kaikar France is interesting um, when he comes down to like like when it comes down to matchups and uh, like what he brings to the table because uh, he has that like unpredictable power that people have to deal with. So I mean, as far as like how he do in a title shot, is I think maybe he can land a bomb. Like there's always that that puncher's chance of him landing a bomb on somebody and putting him away. And Kaikar France isn't one of those. Uh, like punchers that hit hard that um are like unsound defensively you know so he's pretty much always in the right position and uh and he has that bomb on top of him which makes him a pretty dangerous opponent um but uh as far as, as he deserves it i don't know about that i mean there's pantosia who was already guaranteed a title shot before the injury and uh i i don't even, i don't know if weston is even fighting um Ashra Ashraf, if he's still fighting but he's still in the toss i'm sure um and yeah i mean but I, I after that i mean maybe maybe but i, I would like to see him versus perez or uh asker Askeros, if asker Askeros still fighting i think probably one more fight would do justice that makes a lot of sense to me now you, you mentioned the name pantoja in there and i did want to briefly talk about your fight with pantoja because 
you know, you had kind of a, a tough 2020, uh, 2021, you know, you, you had the huge injury that left you out for the beginning portion of the year. You didn't get to fight till August. And then you had this kind of frustrating fight with Alexandre Pantoja. Uh, was there anything in that fight that particularly surprised you about what he was doing? Or was it just one of those days where you felt like you, you couldn't execute what you, you thought you could? No, nah, it was one of those things that I feel like, um, Anything, everything he did is exactly what I expected, honestly. Um, just a little bit of chaos. I think for myself, as I just got overexcited. I, I thought I had a finish. I thought I was pretty close to putting him out of there. And in my head, I was like, all right, cool. Let's just keep pressing on the gas when uh, sometimes it's better to pump the brakes, especially as a fighter. Is uh, Do that veteran move of what Kai Carfrance did. Is, uh, he had um, Cody Garbrandt rocked, and instead of going in there and going crazy, he's like, I'm going to chill for a little bit and I'm going to find this, you know, and uh, I don't know. There's a lot to take away from what uh, Car France did and what I should be doing as a fighter too. So I think there's a couple of learning lessons more than anything in there, but uh, skill wise, technique wise, I don't think Cantoja is really better than me anywhere. And, and and that is the, that is something we've seen from you too, where you you are very high energy. You are in there looking for a finish at all times. Does does this mean when we see you come January fifteenth, we're going to see a little bit more of a reserved version of of Brandon Royval, or or can we still expect some of that chaos? I mean, I am who I am. I'm going to be a psychopath no matter what <laughs> happens. I already know that. So, but um, you're definitely going to see a little bit calmer version. I think as far as as long as I've been in the UFC, especially in like the uh, Moreno fight, the Pantoja fight, and uh, and maybe even a little bit in the Kai Car France fight. I just thought I was gonna maybe a little bit in the Kai Car France fight. I just thought I was gonna kind of walk through him a little bit in the sense of that. But uh, he, I, I think I just have like fifty thousand set in my mind, especially just being so new to the UFC. You know what I'm saying? It's just like I, I need these bonuses. I, I want the bonuses. I mean. It kind of was, took forefront in my head, too. It's just like, I'm going to win, and then I'm going to go out there and put on a fucking performance and fight of the night and all of the above, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, I, not only did I want to win, I wanted to get paid. And even in my head, like, when the, uh, after the first round with Pantoja, I was like, all right, that was cool, that was exciting. And then right when we are going off to that first round, I'm like, all right, here's time to put on some crazy shit to get these 50 Gs right now, you know? And uh, I don't know, I, I think there's a little bit of me just wanted a little bit uh I wanted to, one, get performance of the night, and then just, you know, I, I think I kind of gained that reputation, and I wanted to follow me a little bit. So I went balls to the wall on that Pantoja fight and kind of uh, put myself in a bad position trying to do so, you know. That makes a lot of sense. Now, I know in the past, too, you've said that you, you do prefer a striking match. It's why you've pretty much never shot a takedown in your entire life. Uh, you know, you do wind up with quite a few submissions, but it's usually because somebody brings that to you. Now you've been in the UFC for five fights, which is, you know, you're a veteran of the, the organization now. And all five of those fights have hit the ground at some point. Is is that annoying to you? Is is it just part of the game? How do you feel about that fact? Um, I think all my fights are going to hit the ground for the most part. I think people do, like underestimate how hard I hit. And then also just like, I think, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know, whatever. I think after a certain amount of time, though, I think people are always going to shoot on me. And uh, I like fighting off my back. Is all my favorite fighters when I was younger like fought off their back, and they were like jujitsu guys off their back, and it was kind of a style that I liked and I adopted. And also, it just kind of benefits me right off the bat too. It's just like my style is just being aggressive no matter what. And on the feet, it's aggressive, and the moment it hits the ground is always the best time to attack for me. So 
as soon as they shoot a takedown, their arms are already wrapped up and ready for me to start attacking and stuff. So uh, I kind of just use it as a progression as my attack and like keep going, like keeping my attack already flowing, you know? Absolutely. I love that approach as well. And now out of curiosity, who were some of those names growing up that, that you really liked fighting off their back, hitting submissions off their back? Yeah, yeah, I was a huge BJ Penn fan, Anderson Silva, but uh, I, I was a huge Shinya. I don't, I don't know if you know Shinya Yoki. Oh, Shinya Yoki yeah. was one of my favorite fighters when I was a young kid. Um, not necessarily like maybe mentality striking wise, but I didn't really like uh, reside with him there. But um, watching him off his back was like something that changed my whole entire perspective of fighting and how I wanted to learn and all that. Because when we were younger, I used to watch MMA and stuff, but, and and I think maybe like Nate Diaz had a big part of it. There's a there's a bunch of people, but um, there was a point where I was like, like you know, I was, I'm a, I'm a Hispanic, grew up in like around boxing and stuff. And for me, it was like if you throw kicks, it's kind of lame. If you go to the ground, it's really lame, you know. And uh, we ju- we judged accordingly. And uh, so so once uh once I found like okay, like this is actually a cool aspect of the sport. And once like you see Shinyoki go with it, and you're like wow, that's amazing. What he did was art, you know, and it was different than a normal just ground, hold someone down, lay and pray type of approach. It was something like artistic and dangerous, man. He was breaking people's arms and I don't know, just embarrassing people, honestly. Yeah, well, he he certainly was a lot of fun to watch. Now, uh, let's talk about your fight because this one's going to be a lot of fun to watch too. And you're fighting Rogerio Bontarin, which, you know, like you said, people, you kind of expect them to grapple with you and to want to grapple with you after being on the feet for a while. He he does enjoy striking, but he mixes in a takedown or two. Are you expecting the takedown early, Adabontarine? Um, I'm expecting to shoot first round for sure. I bet you, I almost guarantee that'll probably be his original approach towards it. But um, maybe not. I was surprised how quickly Pantoja shot. I thought we were going to strike for a little bit, and one second he's across the ring shooting in, and I was like, oh, whoa, this is... So, uh, I mean, I'm not expecting for him to come in and shoot, but I expect him to shoot by first round for sure. And as far as how you've seen his wrestling and his jiu-jitsu hold up in the UFC against various opponents, I'm sure you've watched some film on him. How do you think he matches up with you when it comes to that wrestling side of the game and getting you to the mat? Um, Wrestling-wise, I mean, I'm sure he's probably working harder on his takedown than uh, than I'm going to be working on it. I don't think there's anything too impressive about his takedown, except for he looks super fucking strong. Or sorry for cussing, but he looks super strong. And... uh but to me, he, but to me, he looks like uh, like all that will benefit me in the long run is like, okay, if you want to take me down, I'm gonna get up eventually, or I'm gonna get my guard back, and then I'm gonna attack, and it's, it, um, wh- whatever, whatever he's gonna do is gonna drown him in the long run because I'm going to, I'm gonna gas him out if he keeps doing that. If he keeps shooting in on me, keeps trying to grab me, wants to come back up to striking, whatever it is, and that's his approach to it. He's gonna drown himself. Well, and this is usually the part where I ask my fighters for a prediction. You said you think he's going to drown himself. How does this one end on January 15th? Um, I think I put him away with striking. I think uh, I think I get a TKO or he gets desperate, shoots in, and I get a submission. I think uh, he's going to come out aggressively, or maybe not aggressive, but I'm going to push the pace on him, and then, you know, I'm going to eventually drown him in the late first, second round. All right, well, you're here to hear first, folks. This is Brandon Royval, who fights Rogerio Bontarina at UFC Vegas 46. That fight is on January 15th. Brandon, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you, man. I appreciate you. Have a good day, bro. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Brandon Royval. I, once again, am Daniel Gubby-Vreeland, joined now by my co-host, Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, 
Before we get into today, before we begin talking about what we have for a pretty exciting combat countdown later on, I gotta ask you, and I'm not even sure how to go about asking this, how do you rank the Derek Lewis celebration of throwing his cup into the stands against all other Derek Lewis celebrations? <laughs> uh, it was great, but I almost feel like he's a victim of his own success. I don't know. It didn't like blow me away, especially when I got my guy Tai Ivasa doing shoeies. I don't know. That always just wins it for me. But uh, it, it was great. I mean, it was Derek Lewis. It was a knockout. And he's funny as hell. What else can I say? What did what did you think? He gave the fans what they wanted, right? Like, I'm, I'm, <laughs> there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Like, some dude sprinted towards that cup, picked it up, poked it away in his, his, like, overcoat or coat or whatever. Like, it was a treasure that he will keep on his mantle place. So, like, the dude clearly knows how to create a narrative. And, yeah, like, it, it certainly... It's certainly not making the rounds on the internet like my balls is hot because he's kind of, you know, you kind of just come to expect it by now and he's just trying to do a more ridiculous thing. But, hey, between that and what he did in the cage to, to Chris Dawkins, like, man, this guy just won't go away as a contender. He is not ceding his spot to an up-and-comer anytime soon. He really is probably right on the edge of being that, like, man, dude you know, the the number one contender at all times, right? Like, it, it's not even... Gatekeeper seems like a bad word because he's so close to the title at all times. Um, So good for him. Good for him for keeping people talking about him. He certainly ended the year right for us. Yeah, and I actually want to bring something up. I'm glad you brought that up. For me, from a promotional standpoint, and the UFC knows how to promote him, and he's great at promoting himself, so I'm giving, you know, advice that probably isn't needed here, but... When it comes to what you said about gatekeeper status, you're right. He's past gatekeeper status. I don't want him to go into um, California kid Uriah Faber territory where he goes like 0-5 in title fights. I would book him like the WWE booked The Undertaker. To me, he is a special attraction. He will eat up all your prospects like a black hole. Uh, he just needs to be booked on fight night main events as like the Lewis fight night main event. Let him reel off nine wins in a row. And then we can talk about a title shot again. But what I don't want to see is every, you know, three wins, Derek Lewis gets a title shot and just loses to that upper echelon Francis Naganus of the world. I really just like him as a fun fight night headliner. You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, and, and I think the, the heavyweight division right now surprisingly has a lot of those guys or has a lot of those guys in the making, right? Because we, I mean, he just turned Chris Dawkins away, so there's one of them. You know, we're talking about Tom Aspinall being an up-and-comer and being kind of like one of the more exciting guys in that division. Lewis and would maybe, knock him out. Yeah, it, well, I mean, like, it would at least be a talk, right? Like, it, Lewis would probably knock him out, sure. But I do like the physicality that Tom Aspinall brings, which is a little bit different than, than Chris Dawkins. But yeah, you're right. He probably knocks him out. We could talk about somebody like Alexander Romanov, who's undefeated since coming to the UFC and is kind of a hot prospect as well. You know, like there's this, you know, Tai Tuivasa. You mentioned Tai Tuivasa. You mean to tell me Tai Tuivasa versus Derek Lewis, like, fight night card wouldn't just be absolutely bananas rating and so fun? There, There's his three fights. For the, the next calendar year. Between now, he gets Dawkins, Aspinall, Romanov, Tai Tuivasa. Like, all all four of those fights would be killer. Well, and I will also just say, if the UFC has a prospect in mind that they really, really like, I would almost say, avoid Derek Lewis. 
<laughs> let that prospect go to the title shot. If he loses the title shot, his next fight is a fight night headliner against Derek Lewis. But he's going to keep killing off your prospects. All right. Let's uh, get on with the show. We don't have fights to break down, but that's okay. We have our other favorite segment on the show. It's time for a combat countdown. It's our end of the year awards, and I'm so excited to bring that to the fans. But before we do, Gumby, I'm curious, does anyone sponsor this edition of Combat Countdown? Absolutely. The Combat Countdown is brought to you by Double Nickels Sports Betting. Check out Nichols over on Instagram or Twitter at 55DoubleNickels55. He will send you five picks each and every morning, ranging from NBA, NHL, MLB, and of course, MMA when we are back in action. And I'm not lying to you when I'm saying he's hitting five almost every single day. And if not, he's hitting four of them for a big old profit. And unlike all those other guys who are trying to get you to just follow their picks, he's giving you a lot more than that. Nichols hits you with tips and insights that constantly put him at the front of the game and if you don't believe me well you'd probably be the only one because 27,000 people are following him right now on twitter and with prices that never exceed 10 bucks a day and go as low as four bucks a day there's no reason not to give him a try plus if you mention our podcast you can get us even cheaper he's going to hit you with that 10 percent discount so don't delay hit him up at 55 double nickels 55 on instagram double nickel sports betting brings you the end of the year awards I am so excited about these end-of-the-year awards. Uh, we'll be doing Male and Female Fighter of the Year, KO of the Year, Sub of the Year, and Fight of the Year, as we are known to do in these year-end awards. We are going on our end of our sixth year, actually, which is exciting. Uh, so let's start with the Male Fighter of the Year. And we spoke about uh, Derek Lewis killing off prospects. Well, here's one he was not able to kill off. And I'm so Happy to say that uh, our first nominee for Male Fighter of the Year is Cyril Gain. He went 3-0 and in the UFC this year. Uh, he beat Alexander Volkov and Roizenstruck via unanimous decision. And he TKO'd Derek Lewis to win the interim heavyweight title. And now he's fighting for the real heavyweight title in 2022. So that's super exciting. Really great uh, first pick for Male Fighter of the Year. Uh, let's also bring up the fact that Charlie Olives... Our 155 champion had a hell of a year in 2021. He beat Michael Chandler for the vacant UFC lightweight title and then defended against Dustin Poirier. TKO'd Michael Chandler, rear naked choke on Dustin Poirier. Okay, so he was only 2-0 compared to our first nominee, who was 3-0. But those two fights were absolutely massive and worth noting that they capped off what is now a 3-6... 10-fight win streak for him. I mean, just amazing stuff out of Charlie Olives, very deserving of Male Fighter of the Year. Uh, and then we'll move to Kamara Usman, our 170-pound champion. What a year he had. He beat Colby Covington in the rematch for unanimous decision, knocked out Jorge Masvidal. Might talk about that a little later in KO of the Year, spoiler alert. And TKO'd Gilbert Burns to go 3-0 and with three title defenses, approaching GSP status. What a year for Kamara Usman and our fourth nominee. And some people are going to say, wait, what is this guy is really a nominee for fighter of the year? Yes. Chris action man, Curtis two and O in the UFC, but 2021 as a whole, this man went six and O. Okay. So say what you will. That's a worthy nominee for fighter of the year that being said he's not going to win it gumby who's our male fighter of the year i think so all four nominees did have amazing years but i think this is so far of a runaway that every single time i see somebody put up an article or an end of the year award or whatever 
I, I almost laugh because if you're giving it to anybody other than Kamara Usman, you're doing it wrong because Kamara Usman had one of the best years of anybody ever. And I do really mean that. I mean, not only did he go in and just absolutely beat the piss out of Gilbert Burns, but he knocked out Jorge Masvidal at his own game and avenged a, a very close first fight against Colby Covington with a second fight that... Uh, you know, it, you could say it was close on the judges' scorecards if you want, but Colby had no illusion that he had won that fight. They went to go get their hand raised. He looked disgusted with himself. Kamar Usman beat him soundly in the rematch. So we have here, not only was it, it three fights that he went out and absolutely looked phenomenal in, but he did so by kind of beating guys at their own game. He knocked out Jorge Masvidal. He, like got into a gritty war with Colby Covington and beat him there. I mean, he ground and pounded out Gilbert Burns. Like, this is an incredible streak. Kamar Usman, by far the fighter of the year. A hundred percent. Let's move then to female fighter of the year. You know, we started with uh, maybe an odd choice, one that didn't have a huge UFC resume, or ended on male nominee of the year. Let's start female fighter of the year. We've kind of a similar outside-the-box approach to this because we are very UFC-centric, as is most of the uh, MMA world. But that being said, I know, Gumby, you're always keeping your eye on other uh, organizations outside the UFC. And what Kayla Harrison did in PFL was very impressive. The judoka went 4-0 and in 2021. I mean, she's undefeated as a pro, but 4-0 and in 2021 in PFL won their lightweight tournament, won a million dollars. And, you know, I still hope we see her in the UFC someday, but a very uh, worthy nominee for Female Fighter of the Year. Now we'll get to some names you're probably expecting. Rose Namajunas and Valentina Shevchenko uh, both defended their respective titles, 115 and 125, twice. Rose had two wins over uh, Zhang Weili. Actually, she won and then defended, I should say. She won her title back. And then Valentina Shevchenko defended against Jessica Andrade and Lauren Murphy. I'll tell you, the Lauren Murphy defense doesn't really blow me away. So, you know, that might take a point away from her. And then the last nominee is Juliana Pena, who also only went 2-0 and in the UFC, but a rear naked choke over Sarah McMahon to earn a title shot and then beat the GOAT Amanda Nunes, who is the female fighter of the year. So I know a lot of people, especially for recency bias, are going to want to pick Juliana Pena. But that, that beginning of the year win over Sarah McMahon is, you know, probably worse than any of the other wins from any of the other fighters. And, you know, I, I don't mean to discredit the win over Amanda Nunes, but that certainly didn't look like she beat the Amanda Nunes we all know and love. So I'm going to go with Rose Namajunas. I actually think her resume is the craziest, despite the fact she only fought one person in 2021. And that one person was Wang Zhe Wei Li Zhang say it front ways or say it the back ways, the Americanized Chinese version or the Chinese Chinese version. Um, but anyway, she beat Wei Li Zhang. And, and like, not only did she knock her out in the first fight, which was an insane knockout to begin with, but then everybody's talking about how it's a fluke and it wasn't really a clean knockout or whatever. So what she does is she goes and puts 25 hard minutes on Wei Li and beats her that way too. I, I mean, like an incredible performance in the first one with the kick, an incredible performance for 25 minutes in the second one. Yeah, I, I'm giving it to Rose Namajunas. She is the best straw weight in the world, maybe the best straw weight ever. And man, did she have a good 2021? Agreed. Let's go to KO of the year, and you should look all these up in you know in video form and check them out if you haven't seen them. But I think you'll be very familiar if you're listening to our show. I assume you're an MMA nerd like us, and you've seen most of these. 
Uh, KO of the Year nominees, Corey Sanhagen over Frankie Edgar with a vicious knee, flying knee. Uh, Ignacio Bahamandez over Roosevelt Roberts with a spinning heel kick. You had Emily Ducati over Danielle Taylor. Uh, this was an Invicta. Ducato uh, had that right hand, put Taylor on Dream Street, almost like the finish him Mortal Kombat. Uh, and then uh, Kamaru Usman over Jorge Masvidal, that I think it was a right. Yeah, it was a right hand, just straight to the jaw. You saw the sweat go flying. Awesome, awesome visual. And then uh, we're huge fans of him, the Giga Chikadze, uh, the kick that just crumbled Cub Swanson. What's our KO of the year? As much as it pains me to say, I got to pick Corey Sanhagen knocking out Frankie Edgar. Um, that knee, dude, is you, – you can at me on Twitter if you want about this one. It's better than the, the Jorge Masvidal Ben Askren knee, um, without a doubt in my mind. Because, A, he hits it and he goes just as stiff, and then he walks it off because he knew it was happening – also, it's not like sprinting across the cage and like clearly telegraphing it. He like hit it and like drew Frankie into like a half shot and then hit him with it. Dude, the, the setup was almost as sick as the KO. And the KO is one of the sickest knockouts I've ever had. I, I think a whole bunch of other ones on that list would win in other years. Like the, the Ignacio Bahamonde spinning heel kick is crazy good. It would be a knockout of the year in just about any other year. If you wanted to talk about magnitude, obviously the Kamara Usman one would be right up there. You know, would probably win in other years. But man, I just can't overlook how good that flying knee looked. I'm giving knockout of the year to uh, to Corey Sanhagen. Boom. I love it. Um, let's get an agreed. Sub of the year, we have Andre Muniz breaking Jacare Salas' arm, sending him to the retirement home. Muniz followed that up with another submission win. This is a dangerous, dangerous man. Anthony Hernandez over Hidalgo Vieira. Uh, Anthony Hernandez guillotined Hidalgo Vieira. So we see two jiu-jitsu legends succumb to submission. So very worthy for sub of the year. Um, Mateus Gamrat over Jeremy Stevens. He was in the north-south position, pulled off a great Kimura, very technical. Uh, Pat Sabatini over Jamal Emmers with a really nice heel hook. And then Maria Agapova over Sabina Mazzo. This was uh, like a combo she hit her, and then as Matsu was falling, Agapava leaped into a rear naked choke, like all in one fluid motion. Really cool stuff. What's our sub of the year? So this one, it, it was a really tough one because you, you look at like, do you want to go with the skill level or do you want to go with the magnitude? Again, the magnitude of, of Rodolfo Vieira getting submitted is crazy. Um, you know, like the, the, the heel hook, I'm always a sucker for a heel hook. I, I always want to give submission of the year to a heel hook, but I'm going to give it to Andre Muniz. You go out there and not only do you beat Jacare, but you beat Jacare with a submission. And on top of all that, you break his arm with something as simple as an arm bar off your back. And I know it's not as simple as an arm bar off your back because he like took his back and there was a whole kind of setup there. And we watched him do that exact same setup to, to Eric Anders just a couple of days later or a couple of months later. So like, we know that that's in his tank, but man, is was it so awesome to see like a changing of the guards, right? Andre Muniz changed the guards of being the jujitsu guy in those weight classes, in the 185, in the 205 weight classes, by submitting the guy who was that guy for years, maybe even a decade, right? Because that's kind of what Jacare was all the way going back to his strike force days. So, yeah, Andre Muniz for me is clearly by and far the sub of the year. 
All right, boom. And here is our last category, fight of the year. Let's start with Yair Rodriguez versus Max Holloway. This took place at Fight Night UC Vegas 2. Banger of a fight, great fight. Uh, Corey Sanhagen versus Piotr Jan, very technical at 267. Michael Chandler, Justin Gaethje was a three-round war at UC 268. Alexander Volkanovsky, Brian Ortega, you had Volkanovski surviving that tight guillotine. Uh, Brandon Davis, Mason Jones, a fight island eight was a war. What's our fight of the year? Yeah, so I would say, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of these fights on this list sound like recency bias because they've all come from like the last two or three months with the exception of Mason Jones versus Brandon Davis. Um, but man, the, the last couple of months we've had some insane fights and that's not even mentioning like the Shane Burgos, Billy Quarantillo fight, which was incredible. You know, we mentioned Kamaru Usman versus Colby Covington earlier, which was an incredible fight as well for me, ah, man, it, it is so hard because I really, really, really want to give it to Volkanovsky versus Brian Ortega because him surviving those submissions, it, it was crazy, but th- there's no way you can't give it to Michael Chandler versus Justin Gaethje. Michael Chandler versus Justin Gaethje is like one of the all-time craziest slugfests I ever seen. It reminded me of going back, if you go way back, Dan Henderson versus Shogun. It felt like that fight again, only maybe wilder than that one. Like it, it was so incredible. Um, and not not to mention, like despite the fact that it was, you know, a three-round decision and it, it went the distance. The, the amount of close knockouts and the amount of skill that those two possess in addition to just, like, slobber knocker power, I mean, it's incredible. It, it was such a good fight, and, uh, again, I really would like to give it to Volkanovski because I think he gets uh, underrated a little bit, and the way he survived those submission attempts, I, I still don't understand. But, uh, yeah, this one's Gaethje Chandler all day for me. Boom. Well, we sure hope you liked our uh, UFC, or I should say MMA awards, uh, end of the year awards, our combat countdown. Let us know if you liked our picks. Let us know if you hated our picks. You can reach us at Top Turtle MMA. Uh, Gumby, this train is a moving down the tracks. Where should we go next? Well, we're going to transition now to my interview with Ramiz Brahimai, who is getting ready to fight Court the Crusher McGee at UFC Vegas 46, which is coming up on January 15th. He talks about watching Court McGee fight on the Ultimate Fighter while he was in high school and how crazy that is for him now to be paired up with him. But of course, before we get to that interview, I do have to let you know that this interview is brought to you by Maroon Social, M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, jiu-jitsu, or any other martial art, you can use Maroon Social to track your training sessions, log your training uh, or competitions, weigh-ins, and oh so much more. Ditch that dirty jiu-jitsu journal and get yourself Maroon Social wherever it is you download apps. Maroon Social brings you this interview with Ramiz Brahimai. All right, and joining me now is Ramiz Brahimai, who fights Court McGee at UFC Vegas 46. That fight is on January 15th, so... Ramiz, I know as we're about to start talking, you are heading to Vegas. You're going to corner, I'm assuming, Carlos Diego Fajeda. I, I just wanted to ask you, you know, a lot of fighters obviously doing the whole cornering thing when they're they're not in training camp. You're kind of in training camp. What's it like to be, you know, in the process of cornering somebody roughly your size just as you're in the middle of getting ready for a fight? Oh, it's amazing, man. Um, it's something that I do a lot, actually. Uh, having such a big team down at Fortis, you know, we have guys in and out of camps all the time. So I just got done cornering Jeff last week. 
the week before that, I was helping Alonzo get ready, cornered Alonzo in his fight. Um, yeah, I have Diego and uh, Macy this weekend. That's right, Macy, Jason as well. So I- I'm curious, you know, you said you do this a lot and you, you enjoy doing it. What What is it about cornering fighters that you, you particularly enjoy? Um, honestly, more than anything, it's, it's on a more, uh, intimate level for me, you know, uh, these are my teammates and, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in the trenches every single day with them. So to watch them shine and, and, and get their hands raised in victory after all the hard work that they have to put in and, and we put in together. And, and like I said, just, just seeing them go through all of that and, and being in there grinding with them, watching them get their hand raised for me, it's, uh, one of the ultimate senses of satisfaction. Well, that's awesome to hear. Now, let's talk a little bit about your upcoming fight because I'm I'm interested in this. And actually, I'd like to talk about your last fight as well, too. So, you know, obviously, we, we've talked about your first fight. It didn't go your way. One of the wildest injuries of all time. But you get this amazing bounce back fight where you get not only a submission, but you choke out Sasha Palatnikov absolutely cold. Tell us what it was like to, to feel that after, you know, having such a rough beginning to your UFC career. Um. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's uh, it. I definitely saw myself winning my debut and uh, things being a little bit different. But unfortunately, they, they they didn't go as planned. So for me to just bounce back, it just it's a testament to my resilience. Um, and it's it's just a lot of mental toughness that I know I, I've always possessed. And to to go in there and get the finish, especially in the first round and in 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 the fashion that I did it, it's uh. You know, it's it's something that I expect of myself every time I go into that octagon. You know, I, I always look to pursue the finish and uh, I always expect myself to win. You know, uh, it, it doesn't matter to me that I'm in the UFC. I've always uh, envisioned myself here and uh, I always knew that this is this is where I belonged. Absolutely. And, and, you know, you said the first performance didn't go exactly the way you wanted it to. And, and obviously the freak injury was part of the ending of that. Who knows what would have happened in the rest of the fight had it been allowed to continue. But. I'm curious, you know, obviously it's a stark contrast between your first and second fight. Do you believe that like octagon jitters exist? And, and if so, did it play a, a role at all in that fight? Um, I mean, it's, it's definitely a possibility, you know, like, uh, when, when I fought Max, I, it was almost like, a damn near two years off of a layoff from surgery that I had with my orbital tumor and a bunch of other stuff. But, you know, I, I don't like to think dwell on that stuff, you know, I mean, it definitely, I mean, it, it does play a fact, you know, like a, a factor pardon, because the thing is, is like, you know, when you, when you get into the octagon, the, the more cage time that you have in terms of uh, how, how soon you've been in there, it definitely, it definitely contributes to your calmness. You see what I'm saying? So if you, if you fight from a long layoff or recovering from an injury or a surgery or anything like that, it definitely plays a little factor in it. But like I said, it, uh, I felt a lot more at home, especially in my second fight, not to say that I didn't feel at home in my first fight. Um, I did have a little bit of the, a little bit of the jitters, not too much, but I, I guess ring rust or whatever you could call it might've played a factor, I suppose. And, and you're right. You definitely did look more at home, at least in the performance in that second fight. Now, I'm curious, too. You go out there, first fight of the night. You choke the dude absolutely cold. And then you're sitting watching this pretty damn exciting card, if I don't say so myself. And, yeah. and you wind up not getting the performance bonus at the end. Was that a huge bummer to you after all of that? Not really, honestly, to because like I said, um, 
I'm not I'm not in control of the bonuses and it doesn't it doesn't matter to me because at the end of the day I got the job done and that's like I said it's it's what's expected of me so for me bonuses and all that other stuff it's it's uh like for me I don't worry about that stuff when it, when it comes it comes you know like I I I'm going to go out there and I put on a damn good performance I might get the bonus. I might not. I'm, I'm not. I never get too bummed out about those things because they're not really in my control. I mean, it's extra money. Yeah, I would would love it, but at the end of the day, I'm not in control of it. So if it comes my way, it comes my way. That makes a lot of sense. Now, I mean, man, talk- listen, I'm not going to complain. You saw that spinning wheel kick knockout. That was, <laughs> that was freaking sweet, man. <laughs> my it's, submission couldn't top that. It, it's hard to compete with a spinning wheel kick knockout. <laughs> So uh, l- let's talk about your fight coming up because this is an exciting one too. You know, you're fighting Court McGee, a guy who, who's been around for a really long time. He's a, he's a famous name in the UFC at this point in time. And, and I'm curious, when they offered you a name like Court McGee, and, and I mean, they offered you a name like Max Griffin right off the bat, what, what are your thoughts about continuously getting names that, you know, not just are people heard of, are, are stalwarts in your division? I love it. Honestly, I love it. And this is, this is, um, it says, it says a lot, like, you know, it's, it's for me, it's personally, it's one of those things that I get excited. You know, these are the matchups that, that I get to wake up in the morning and just get really excited for, because I go out there, I, I handle business January 15th. I have a big name under my belt. And then it's another veteran that I fought with within the span of a year and a half, two years, you know? So for me to go out there, compete, mix it up with another vet and another tough dude and like a guy who's been in this division, been in this company for such a long time. And like I said, it, it, I still remember when Court won the Ultimate Fighter. I was in, I was a senior in high school. So for me to go out there and, and handle business, you know, and and get the finish against this guy, get the win against this guy, it's, it's major for me, you know. And like I said, it, it just, it says a lot that, you know, I, I know that I have an exciting style and, for me to get matched up with these guys that are exciting just as well. It's, it, it, it just says a lot to me. And, and we're going to talk about that style in a second, but I want to backtrack to something you said there, which was that, you know, you, you were in high school when this guy won the ultimate fighter. Were, were you a big fan of MMA when you were in high school? And if so, like, you know, who were some of your, your big inspirations at that time? Oh, a hundred percent. I I really started to get uh, heavily involved in MMA. As <clears throat> I started to train a lot when I was like a sophomore in high school. Um, but even before that, I was always watching MMA with, with affliction, with pride, with, with early UFC days. And I mean, that was when Anderson Silva was just invincible back then. And he was, he was definitely one of my favorite fighters. He still is one of my favorite fighters of all time. And of course the, the, the aura of invincibility that was behind him, that was behind Fedor Emelianenko, BJ Penn, Georgia St. Pierre, all of these guys that, like I said, like I, I kind of idolized, you know, growing up. And these are the guys that I grew up watching. So they were definitely some of my heroes. You're speaking my language with some of those names. Now, oh, yeah. I, I, I want to get back to talking about Court McGee, though. So, you know, you mentioned it, it's a match if you like and you, you enjoy the fact both that, you know, it's a, it's a high profile guy and also that it's an exciting stylistic matchup. Now, you know, you're a guy who's got some pretty serious grappling chops. And Court McGee is a guy who's gone out there and kind of made, you know, his name through his grappling chops. Is that sort of how you see this fight playing out on the map? 
honestly, I see this play, uh, fight playing out anyway. You know, I, I could see me and him mixing it up in the stand-up, mixing it up in the grappling. And, you know, like I said, it's it just, it, it, for me, it doesn't really matter where the fight goes. You know, I'm excited to just get in there and be able to compete against uh, another certified vet and, and the dude who's been in there, like, with, with the best of them. You know, this guy has some solid wins over solid, solid competition. He has a win over Robert Whitaker. He has he has he has many high profile wins. And not only that, but the guy's been around the block. He's fought some of the toughest dudes in the company and he's never said no to nobody. So I'm excited about it. And like I said, I, I go out there January 15th. I handle business and um, it's going to be another name on my resume. And it's like I said, these are the fights that I dream of, you know, that, that, that wake me up every morning and uh, light a fire under my ass to make me train even harder. I love it. Now, I got to ask you a question, because last time we talked, which was before, I, I, I think just before your Max Griffin fight, you, you, we were talking about the fact that you were still a blue belt. You, you had won <laughs> some gi jiu-jitsu competition at blue yeah. belt. Tell me there's no chance left in the world that we're no, still no, talking I'm, about I'm, you as a blue I'm belt. I'm a purple belt. I'm a purple belt, man. They just didn't update my profile on, uh, on at the UFC. They didn't update it, man. But yeah, I'm I'm a I'm a purple belt, man. Uh, after I won Nogi Worlds, I was promoted, and they just didn't they didn't promote me, man. I know a lot of people. They were like, uh, I was getting DMs. They're like, it's a sick joke if you're still a purple belt. <laughs> I mean, if you're still a blue belt, who the hell? Why haven't they promoted you this and this? And I was like getting a bunch of backlash. I'm like, man, I don't run the promotions. I don't promote myself. <laughs> so, you know, I'd probably give myself a black belt too soon, to be honest. But. No, I mean, uh, I, I, I trust my jiu-jitsu coaches um, at Fortis. And like I said, there's there's no need to rush um, this process. I love this journey that I'm on. You know, a lot of people, they tell me, they're like, hey, man, you're a brown belt, maybe black belt. And uh, no, I'm a purple belt. I got promoted uh, back in 2019 uh, as soon as I won Worlds. And like I said, I I just love the journey that I'm on. I, I, I love grappling. I love uh, MMA. And uh, it's it's one of those things that, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't feel like I need to rush anything. You know, I feel like everything's falling into place just the way that it needs to. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you are one bad purple belt. I'll start by saying that now. <laughs> before, before we end this interview, I, I do always like to ask my fighters for a prediction. How do you see this one going down, and how do you see this one ending when you fight Court McGee on January fifteenth? Um, all the respect in the world to Court. Um, I have every intent to go out there and uh, make a statement. You know, get a finish over a guy who, who's been finished only once in his career, you know? Um, so I'm going out there and I'm definitely going to look for the finish. But like I said, I expect any kind of fight. I just expect myself to win. That's it. I expect a tough fight, but I expect myself to win. And, and most importantly, I'm looking to get that finish. All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. This is Ramiz Brahima who fights Court McGee at UFC Vegas 46. That fight is on January 15th. Ramiz, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. My man, I appreciate it. Talk to you soon. And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We could not do what we do without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsors, Maroon Social, Better Than Vegas, and, of course, Double Nickels Sports Betting, which you can follow at 55DoubleNickels55 on Instagram and Twitter. And speaking of Instagram and Twitter, you can also follow us at Top Turtle MMA in both of those locations. And until next week, I'm Daniel Gumby-Freeland. He's Shockwave Dave Tremonte. We'll catch you then.